There's an impression that those who've been able to work from home during the pandemic kind of had it made. They were able to stay out of the danger zone while not seeing an interruption in their work and maybe their income. And while it was for many, if you had a business that was dependent on the outside world as well, working from home was just as impacted by the interruptions. If your relief valve is all about creating a social network that exists to bring people together at a time when the greater good involved keeping people apart, the challenges to your livelihood are just as bad as being told one day to go home and figure it out. My guest today spends a lot of her time helping bring those people together in search of networking and finding jobs. And I personally thank my lucky stars that they're out there and keeping up the good fight. We all owe it to them to help get past this pandemic and get on with the new normal. Lenny Rosales is the Chief Operating Officer at The American Genius, a strong news voice in the entrepreneur and tech world, offering meaningful, concise insight into emerging technologies, the digital economy, best practices, and a shifting business culture. She's co-authored a book, co-founded Bash, the big-ass social happy hour, which is a monthly networking event offline, and Austin Digital Jobs, a group offering a quarterly mixer cramming two venues full of the city's most popular employers and highly qualified eager talent. She's a seasoned business writer and editorialist with a penchant for the irreverent. My guest today is Lonnie Rosales. Hi, Lonnie. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing good. Uh, tell the audience a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do. Thanks for asking. Uh, my name is Lonnie. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at TheAmericanGenius.com, which is a national news outlet for entrepreneurs. And we have several offline events, which we'll get to that fun part soon, I'm sure. Um, Co-founded the Austin Digital Jobs Group on Facebook, also the Remote Digital Jobs Group on Facebook. And we have a networking group called Big Ass Social Happy Hour, which is mostly nerds that don't like to network. So <laughs> thanks. I, yeah, me too. I, I fit <laughs> right into that. I'm I'm a um, I'm one of those uh, introverted types that if I don't know you, I will sit in the back of the room and never once walk up and say hello. But once I know you, we can do this. So exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you get started doing all of that kind of work? Um, that's a great question. Um, I kind of just ended up coming along for the ride. Um, my husband founded a single person blog in 2005. And this was kind of at the early day of blogging when most Americans didn't know what a blog was. It wasn't a known thing yet. And um, he co-owned a real estate brokerage and he wanted to talk about national issues that were going on, uh, but he didn't want to affiliate his name with it. So he just started a nameless uh, blog. And that's where it all started. Um, from there, uh, long story short, uh, he got a cease and desist order from the National Association of Realtors because you can't use the word realtor in a URL. Um, even if oh. you were a dues paying member, they own the rights to that. Um, which ironically, now they're one of our uh, partners. So <laughs> we get along with them fine now, but uh, he used that as an opportunity, uh, and he comes from the PR world of Kroger and Apple and big corporate, so he knew how to use that to his advantage and, uh, you know, kind of complain about how the big guy was picking on the little guy. So he came out of the closet with who he was and 
I uh, started recruiting a whole bunch of writers. Uh, we inevitably transitioned to news, uh, which anyone uh, that doesn't know, there's definitely a difference between bloggers, voice and news and yep. Google indexes it separately. Um, so uh, then along the way, we kind of uh, launched all these other side things that are now under the same umbrella. But um, I got into it because I was an English major and that's when I met my husband was when I was in college. And uh, a lot of English majors end up in marketing, which was kind of my wheelhouse. And that's where I ended up because either that or just go be a professor, which I definitely didn't want to do at all. (laughs) And uh, the idea is someday to be in like a cabin without internet and just like bang out on a typewriter or some novels or something. But uh, for now, doing news and events. Cool. How does your organization make money? Great question. Um, so we're ad supported. Um, all the content is always free. Events are always free. Um, pretty much everything we do is free to consume and it's always sponsored by different corporations. Um, offline events has been our um, largest income over the years. So yeah, <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's been a rough year. So I, yeah. I, I let's get into it. Uh, you work from home. So changing that operation didn't uh, didn't uh, matter all that much for you, but a lot of the or a lot of what you do is face to face in person kind of events. And I'm guessing when the pandemic came along, that all kind of stopped. Now, yeah. tell the audience you're based out of Austin, correct? Yes. Okay. Texas is a slightly different world than certainly the world I live in. Right? I'm in Los Angeles, California. Sure. You know. Um, so, uh, was Texas? heavily restrictive or was it very open? How did, how did things get handled there? Um, I'm, I'm going to answer that question in two ways because, um, the way I personally handled it was quite different. Um, but I would say that initially, uh, Texas was extremely restrictive and almost some felt like it was an overreaction. Um, okay. but, uh, yeah, at first. So yeah, Texas has been one of the first to kind of, you know, take the masks off and whatever. But at first, Um, It was very serious and um, it didn't really matter what the government said, businesses took it seriously. So you couldn't, you know, go anywhere without a mask, no matter what the government said. And so, um, yeah, so it it was, it was a little bit different here, but um, we were looking at it in December of 2019 and listening to news about it. And a lot of our friends were laughing about it saying, oh, it's just like, you know, it's a flu or whatever, but my husband is severely immunocompromised. So is my daughter. And so we took it seriously. Immediately, we saw that it was going to be a problem. We went and bought a deep freezer, filled it full of meat for a year. I mean, we yeah. we took it really seriously and we didn't go anywhere. Uh, my okay. husband still has been very few places because you can visit the doctor over video. You can do most things remotely now. Um, right. I go to the grocery store now. Uh, we're starting to open things back up. But yeah, the state um, at first didn't care, then overreacted. And so it's been kind of this weird pendulum here, but we just had the policy of if we're not comfortable as an immunocompromised house, we can't ask other people to come out and go to events if we're not willing to go to them either. So Right. That's fair. California had a strange... So, so California tried to be, I think as I look back on it, sensitive to local communities making their own decisions by splitting responsibility out into the individual counties, but because of the way California functions, where some of it is very liberal and some of it is very conservative, you got an uneven response to how to deal with um, the pandemic. And so then the government tried to condense it all down into some kind of cohesive policy. But in the process, we wound up going from 
very, very restrictive to very, very loose to really, really bad outbreaks to very restrictive again. Right. And, um, one of the things I've learned over a year of doing the podcast and talking to people in different places is I think the spirit was right that one size does not fit all. Um, but how do you execute that in a state with 40 million people? It's I hard. think Texas is similar to that, right? Um, all of the major metropolitan areas are um, very progressive with Austin being extremely progressive. And so mm-hmm. you have lawmakers in conflict with each other, still in conflict and um, so that's been hard. I, I tend to lean on the, um, you know, individual responsibility anyways. Um, so, you know, we would have done what we thought was right regardless, but yeah, it's, it's been, I think similarly because we have such an uneven population here where you have these centers that vote one way and then everything else votes yeah. the other. It's hard to have one single policy that everybody can respect statewide. It's tough. Yeah. Just like California. Yep. Um, Okay, so you could not have the um, the big events. Uh, did you try to do anything uh, online kind of things to make up for it? Yes. Um, we invested heavily in um, a new learning management system, which is how we could deliver um, new content and have online conferences. And, you know, they did okay, but um, the investment in the time and the creation of those was so high that um, to be honest, we were lucky to get close to barely even breaking even. And some conferences didn't break even. We ended up in the red. So okay. um, what I learned from that is that um, I'm personally, because I oversee the events, I have a skill. I'm, I need to figure out what the hell I'm even doing. But I'm apparently okay at doing offline events. <laughs> Online has been a struggle. And I, I think for a couple of reasons, not just because of the brand or anything like that, but because everybody switched to online overnight. And so yeah. the volume was so high and the market was already pretty saturated, became way oversaturated. And you had large brands that could do it for everything for free. And yeah. so, um, and especially in the early days of COVID, a lot of companies were saying, you know, we normally charge for stuff. We're just going to do it for free because it's the right thing to do. Right. Which is great. But then if you're one of the smaller businesses like ours that are like, please give us money <laughs> and everybody's saying it's free. Well, you're going to go with the free route, no matter the quality. And so, uh, yeah, it was, it was tough. The transition, um, didn't really work out the way I dreamed. Unfortunately, the publications has a growing number in readership. And so that's great. And um, cool. so we're set up for success when we kind of reemerge and have the sponsorship dollars, you know, reignited, but yeah, it's still we're still kind of in the rough part, honestly. Okay. Um, uh, you and I met through the uh, the Austin Digital Jobs Board. I'm curious to understand what you saw from before pandemic through today happen in that space. Uh, I know I lived it for a long time. Um, I I was unfortunately for me I was laid off just before the pandemic started at the end of 2019, and it took me 16 months to find something else. Um, which was, yeah, it was, it was brutal. And on the other side of it, which is really interesting, I I've got all these different conclusions playing in my head. Right. So I, you know, over, over the course of a 30 year career, I went from, uh, individual contributor to manager, to director, to senior director. And now I'm a manager again at the end of the 16 uh, months. And there's a part of my head that says that you step back and then there's a part of my head that says, no, it's not really like that. It's about the job you're doing and where your pay scale lands. 
but you were you were running this group that was basically about reaching out for people to to help them find jobs during the whole period of time in a market that's very very high technology right now i mean austin's probably one of the largest growing uh, tech markets in the country tell me about what that was like through the pandemic um there was just so much suffering because um, Austin is already a saturated competitive market. And then you throw in infinite hiring freezes because initially no company knew what was coming next. So everything just had to freeze. A lot of it's, to be honest, still pretty frozen. It is opening up. But um, that was that was tough um, to see people that, you know, you develop these relationships with over the years struggling that sh- should otherwise not be struggling to find a job, especially senior level people. And so that was tough. Um, but some of the good that came out of it, I think, is the stigma surrounding two things changed. Number one, around remote work. Um, employers now have a better understanding that their team can work remotely for a lot of roles. And yep. um, so the stigma around that changed. And I think also the stigma around doing what you have to do to survive has changed. I don't think anyone is ashamed that they might have had to work at a restaurant during COVID or in between jobs now. You know what I mean? And that's that's something that at one point would have been hidden, would have been scary to admit. But, you know, we all had to do what we had to do to get by this past year, especially unemployed folks and, you know, taking on Uber gigs and just really whatever it took to put food on the table. So I definitely saw a shift in that. And so to me, that was one of the best positives that has come out of it is the kind of the shift in the stigma of the hustle in between and not being ashamed of staying alive, (laughs) doing what you do. Yeah. So you say you're seeing a slow transition back to to work? Yeah. um, So since Austin is a more progressive center, um, most employers are not forcing anybody back into the office. We are seeing companies now opening offices back up and having it as an option and allowing people mm-hmm. to come back in, which for some, that is a better situation. There are a lot of, um, let's say customer support, for example. And, um, you know, we heard from people that said, I, you know, live with four roommates and six dogs and it is never quiet here. And it's very difficult. You know, I need to be back in an office. I'm mm-hmm. on the other end of the spectrum to where I'm like, I would literally die if I had to go into an office because all of the things that come along with it and no thanks, I'm not going to do it. But I get that some people don't have the setup for it and never did, never will. Yeah, um, I'm I'm torn. Um, I, obviously, my office is my garage, so it's it. You know, we don't have a lot of space. Both of the kids are still living at home and working from there. So it, it, there's the there's that. I'm, I've carved out a space where I can work, but it's not ideal. Um, and I've just I'm just an office dweller type, though I'm fairly confident at this point that my company will never reopen its offices again. I think we will be remote completely forever. I think we'll see that with several companies. Um, but there's also going to be, uh, we kind of um, called it in an article on the American Genius, um, commercial real estate hot potato, where companies are contracting. So for example, Dell is headquartered in Austin and they're now renting out their third floor to a database company and contracting their space a little bit. They've sold some of their land to the same company. So I think you'll see um, as things kind of reopen, I think a lot of companies that had these huge vanity offices and Dell isn't one of them, like they legitimately Mm -hmm. needed the space over the years, but you'll see, especially like a tech startup, for example, that really doesn't need an entire building uh, had it for vanity purposes uh, I think you'll see half the building being leased out to another company. So we'll we'll see a lot of marrying of those. But 
Yeah, we're so we're seeing people not being called back into the office, but being given that option, which is the forefront of being called back into the office. But I'll tell you, we um, I don't want to say we were pretty rough, but we published a list at the beginning of COVID of companies' responses to sending people home. Because yeah. uh, remember, we had already been prepping since December, so we took it very seriously. And there were companies that were extremely irresponsible with how they handled it by forcing people to stay in after it had, because they were saying, well, if they call it a global pandemic, then we can send people home. Otherwise we're not going to. And then when they did one company here in Austin, that's actually an international company um, in the security space said um, to their employees, well, just know that this is not a coronation just because you're getting to go home. Are you kidding? People are dying. You jackass. What's your problem? Like (laughs) coronation. (laughs) What? Uh, A lot of, a lot of business owners don't understand how work from home works. And to be fair, a lot of them never had to deal with it before, right? I mean, I deal a lot with things like computer animation and visual effects in my career. And that industry was completely blown sideways by this because yeah. uh, the protection of intellectual property and the need for the the uh, artists to be close to the data source to avoid latency because yeah. of the, the amount of data meant they weren't allowed to work from home and all of a sudden they all had to. And there were a lot of very, very smart IT guys who spent about a month banging their heads against the wall, figuring out the best way to do it. Yeah. Um, but protocols definitely changed during the pandemic, especially when it comes to IP. I mean, for sure. And yeah, but, but managers, I mean, I'm a manager. I've got a team of nine guys underneath me. They're scattered all over the Western U S I trust them. And the only way you can be successful, especially in a working remotely environment is you have to trust people, right? Cause your your standards for how you judge the work product has to be about what do they deliver and not about you know what are they doing every every minute of the day yeah. uh, and there are there are managers who walk the floor just watching people do their work just to get yeah. a sense of what they're doing and 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 so and this this will lead me to a different part of the discussion it's also about a corporate culture and um, how you judge the flow of how the business is running, right? Yeah. Now, I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just the way some people are and, and the way they work. Now, saying what the little voice in your brain uh, is thinking out loud is probably not the best way to handle yeah. that. So, you know, um, but, uh, but that brings me to my next question. What do you think all of this does to ultimately to things like corporate culture and building cohesive teams, right? Because that's one of the biggest things I'm concerned about is I've I've been working now since the middle of March and I have just had the privilege of meeting my boss for the first time in person uh, last week. Nice. And, and I've never met face-to-face other than on, you know, tools like like Zoom and Google Meets, any of the people I work with. And I, I worry about what that means to being able to build a team camaraderie and culture. Uh, what do you think about that? Um, I have a couple of thoughts on it. I, I think we've been we've been through a transition before when it comes to tech. And I mean, think about how managers struggled when the phone came to be. I can't I don't know what my staff is saying. I can't hear what's on the other end. Like it, that must have been a difficult transition. There had to also be a trust builder when email was launched and everybody had individual access to humans inside of an office and managers had to trust that Mm -hmm. that wasn't being abused. No weird stuff was being said. So I think there've been transitions before, and this is just one that didn't happen because of a cool novel thing that occurred. 
this happened because of an emergency panic. So the reaction I, I think has been a little different, but we've adapted before. So I think we'll adapt to this as well. I mean, companies had to look at their technologies, how to build yeah. these teams. And especially, um, you know, there have been Zoom is one way that everybody's been transformed, um, but that's not the only one. There are tons of tools. Um, gosh, there's one, I can't remember the name of it, but um, we used it briefly, but it was it uh, had huge lag on our computers, so we stopped. But there was this one where we could all have a little tiny circle in the corner of our Chrome instance. And anytime any of us wanted to talk to anyone on the group, and there would be seven of us at a time, yeah, literally just pop in and it, your video would become bigger and they could hear your voice. It's kind of like a video walkie talkie and anybody okay. around could like respond. But that was one way that, you know, we thought we would need the immediacy. Turns out we did not need the immediacy and it slowed everything down. <laughs> but you touched on something earlier and that was trust. And I think that's going to be something that is going to, uh, it's already been tested during the pandemic. There's some people who have not and will not adapt to that. But my feeling on trusting teams remotely is if you can't trust your team remotely, even with IP, maybe you're not hiring properly. Maybe your hiring practices aren't very good. If you're hiring people that you don't think are trustworthy, then you're either underpaying and you're getting bottom of the barrel talent or you have issues that you need to work through or just whatever it is. But I think that that's what will inevitably come out of this is that the hiring practices will have to not necessarily just be on skill, but even on some of the like EQ on like, can we build a team of personalities that can trust each other and can be cohesive so that we, then we can work on building the culture. Cause if it, if the hiring practices remain the same and don't adapt for any of the hybrid or remote workspace, then it's, the cycle continues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I found hiring to be a strange experience when it's exclusively online. Yeah. Um, simply because uh, historically I've always read a lot from body language and um, just that being in a room with somebody, can you get them to get comfortable with you? Sometimes people on camera are performing all the time, right? Yeah. And sometimes they're being themselves and it's very difficult to get a feel for that when you never actually make the physical connection with someone. Yeah, um, but on the flip side, I also think it opens up accessibility to some people who would otherwise be uh, perhaps overly nervous during an interview situation yeah. because they just had to drive across town or something. And now, you know, they can be in their home um, or people that struggle to make eye contact, they can at least kind of make eye contact during a video interview. So I think, although it's difficult on a hiring side, I do think that it opens it up to some talent that would otherwise be overlooked. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. It's also um, literally changed the way we hire people, right? Because um, I can hire somebody. The only limitation to where I can hire from right now is where my company has a business entity in, in a state, right? So I can hire people in New York to be part of my team. I can hire people in Washington. I can hire people down here in California. I can hire people up in Quebec if I want to. And that's completely new. It's also changed the ultimate dynamic of how the team runs going forward, right? Because Honest and truly, there are, there's three of us that are based in the LA area when our offices are in the LA area, which means realistically, um, I, and and this is this speaks to what corporate culture will be going forward in the future, right? I will have to fly at least two people in to have a team get together where we're all sitting in a room around each other, which I intend to do because I still think the human connection is important. And as long as everybody is vaccinated and we've started returning to something that resembles um, whatever the, nor the new normal is going to be. 
everybody should have a chance to, you know, shake hands and have a beer and sit around the table. Um, and running a 24 by 7 team, we, we never do group meetings, right? Well, but I mean, flowing people in is cheaper than commercial real estate space, so. Yes. You know, I what I'm looking um, to see what happens in L.A. is we have a glut of commercial real estate space at the moment, right? Yep. But we also have a homeless problem, a really serious homeless problem yeah. right now. Uh, I'm interested to see if somebody has the kind of imagination to figure out ways to encourage development to convert some of the commercial space into affordable housing space instead yeah. and, and help solve that problem. Austin has a similar um, houselessness problem wherein they've actually been buying up hotels for short-term housing and things like that and gotten really creative. I know that regulations are a little bit more stringent in California, but I imagine if if there's some serious thought being put into it here, there will there. But I wanted to go back to something you were talking about, um, that you have teams, you have limitations on where, depending on, you know, where the business licenses are held. But one of the conversations that employers are having right now that I think is going to become problematic long-term is a question about, well, do we pay, you know, Bay Area salaries if somebody lives in Nebraska and they've moved? Yeah. So I, I think that conversation, I don't have the answer for it, but that conversation, um, I, well, I do have an answer for it. There are several companies that have been fully remote forever. Automatic is one of them. And uh, they pay the same regardless of where you live. And for some, that's a huge pay upgrade. For others, it's a downgrade. And so you just kind of have to make that choice. There are existing models but I think the fact that employers are having that conversation could end up leading to some culture problems, wherein if they decide to pay differently, you have two humans doing the exact same job, making wildly different salaries. And I think yeah. that could cause conflict because you you assume that your employees don't know what each other makes. A lot of them do. And that, yeah. could, that could, if I'm making, you know, $100,000 doing something because I'm in Austin and somebody that, you know, lives in the country here in Texas is making 40 we're doing the same yes. job. Well, we're not friends anymore. <laughs> it's yeah. not our yeah. fault. So I think yeah. that's going to be an interesting challenge that employers, and I think it's a fair question, right? Why would I yeah. pay Bay Area salaries if somebody lives in Nebraska? They don't yeah. need it. No, I completely agree. Um, I know in, in the case of my current business, I think what we've done is we've set um, an upper end median salary of what the role pays, no matter where you are. Yeah. And then we'll adjust based on where the person is. But again, we're not really hiring from the middle, you know, the Midwest or someplace where yeah. the scales are dramatically different. Um, so it's not a big deal. But I have a friend who um, who works at DreamWorks Animation uh, who has moved to South Carolina during the uh, pandemic because he's able to do it. And I imagine that there is a time coming when they're going to want to go back. I mean, it's it's an interesting problem, but if I decide I want to be an animator for a big studio and I happen to live in Iowa, I now have the opportunity to be an animator for a big studio. So it should mean less to me that the guy who has yeah. the living expense of being in Los Angeles gets paid more than I do living in Iowa because I've made the choice to continue to maintain the lifestyle I have there as long as I'm getting paid what I feel is good compensation for the work I'm doing, right? And, I, and that's the mindset change, isn't it? It is, but the challenge is that then companies are put in a situation where they have more serious conversation about cost of living increases based on where they are, right. which they everybody supposedly does, but no one really does, if we're being frank. 
for example, uh, I moved to a new new home subdivision a year ago and the average price, and we're, we're almost an hour outside of Austin. Like we are very far North and most people wouldn't even consider this Austin. It's like, it's kind of on the cut. I can see cows from my front door. I'm not even kidding. But this new home subdivision, uh, the house across the street was, um, which is a similar floor plan to ours, was bought for three hundred fifty thousand. It just sold for six hundred seventy-five thousand. Wow! In one year. So where that leads me is, if employers are having these conversations about, well, how do we pay based on where people live? Then they're also going to have to be really frank about the cost of living and keep track yeah. of it where everyone lives. So if there's a cost of living increase in Leander, Texas of 75% because housing has gone up, food has gone up, everything's skyrocketed. Well, do I get that increase? Cause that's where I live. Probably not. Uh, and also I, I, we own the business, so I'm definitely not going to get an increase in pay, but like there, there is that. So I do think that like, the, the, the idea of salaries might be uh, really different if we have this conversation in 10 years or 20 years. I don't know. We'll see. It's, it's interesting. I can tell you that um, during my days at Fandango, I had one guy who was based out of Texas who worked uh, our, our night shift on our knock. And um, when it came to calculating his salary, I went and got the Robert Half uh, salary survey yeah. for technology and was and bless them for the way they do it was able to go back to hr and say this is a base salary this is the percentage ad for being in the austin market right they start with a systems administrators make $80,000 a year and then they say but in new york add 30% to that and in los angeles add 40% to that wow. and i think that was a really helpful tool to be able to go back to the company and say no you can't really pay him dramatically less because he's in Texas and we're in LA, yeah. this is the cost of living in Texas. Yeah. Um, and those kind of tools, I think, are really valuable. Um, yeah, and I think, I think that will be helpful when people are hired. My worry is that that conversation won't continue and cost of living increases won't necessarily stay. They'll continue their X percent increase per individual per yeah. year. And so I don't know. We'll we'll see. What it what it highlights though is that there's room for improvement in the accuracy of salaries yep. just nationally in general. Yep, agreed. So the pandemic is getting better. Are things better in Texas than uh, than they were? Yeah, um, things are definitely a lot better. And um, you know, really the the death count is way down, which thank goodness. And uh, certainly the the majority, actually, I think they said something like 99% of deaths are people that are unvaccinated. And so, yeah. um, and without getting into the vaccination debate. Um, so yeah, I think um, things are loosening up here. Um, people are going maskless. It's pretty common. I actually live in a county mm -hmm. north of Austin. Austin's in Travis County. I live in Williamson County. And so, um, you know, about two weeks ago, things started really kind of going maskless. And I went to Lowe's and I was in the garden center and I was like, you know what? I'm going to not wear a mask. And I felt like the naughtiest child on the planet, but it also, <laughs> I, I was surprised. I didn't think I would feel liberated, but I felt definitely liberated because this has been such a taxation on our just daily lives. And yeah. to like be able to do that one symbolic thing because the rates are such that it, we're allowed to, it did give me hope. It, it did feel kind of nice. It, it was a bigger moment than I anticipated it would be. The first time I went maskless felt, um, I felt like something was wrong. Um, and, and then now because of the state of things, there are still, there's still a mixed 
kind of message in some places. So I will always wear, wear a mask still in the supermarket uh, just because of the volume of people passing in and out. Um, but like, for example, yesterday I was at uh, the UPS store and I walk in there wearing a mask because I don't know what the store policies are. Yeah. Nobody in the store was wearing a mask. And I asked the girl behind the counter, so it's okay to take this off. And she said, as long as you're vaccinated. And, and I took my mask yeah. off. So I think as long as we're polite about it, right? I think it's great to have that opening back up again. I think so. And I've long thought that regardless of what the government says, if a private business is not comfortable with people being maskless, we should respect that. If a private business yeah. is open to it, then fine. And I've, I've long thought that it was up to them, up to the business owners anyways. So, yeah. but yeah, it's definitely, we're, we're kind of starting to go more maskless here. Now, if you go into like further into Austin there, you'll still see a lot more, but kind of out towards the country where I am and the rates were already pretty low. Yeah. No one's wearing a mask anymore. So. Okay. Uh, how's the vaccine rate there just in general? Are people taking to it or are they avoiding it? Uh, I, I, it's not as high as I would like, but we've had like in, in certain pockets, like a weird anti-vax movement anyways, which I don't, I don't understand. Um, yeah. Uh, especially I, I saw a joke, somebody said something the other day of, um, somebody I went to high school with was talking about anti-vax on their Facebook, which I, I actually think people should be able to choose. So like whatever, you know, do your thing fine. Uh, I definitely got my, we got ours early, um, cause yeah. immunocompromisation, but, um, somebody commented on his page, um, and said, Dude, I watched you lick a beer off the floor in high school. I think you're gonna be fine. Like, get the vax. Like, <laughs> like I've seen what you've put in your body. Like, <laughs> you're yeah, okay. Yeah. So. yeah, we've had it. We we've had a generally strange anti-vax experience here in LA, of all places, in wealthier communities too. Where I mean, we've we've had measles outbreaks in Los Angeles, which makes no sense to me at all yeah. because I think anecdotally we've proven that that kind of works. Um, yeah. but anyway, people are, uh, people are a strange animal. <laughs> people are and it, but I, I do, I think that it's, if we respect each other, that one of the things that is still bothering me is the friction between people that feel very strongly one way or the other will yeah. confront each other in public. And it's like, just do you do you, let me do me and just get, just go away. I don't... Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. And it's, 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 it's across the board on everything though, right? It's not just the moments. I think, I think being, I think we were all getting anxious. I have theories about how social media has left us in this position where we all feel either envious or angry, um, about other people, yeah. um, which is a half hour all by itself <laughs> to talk yep. about. Right. Um, but I think that that's led to politics getting in the way of things that it shouldn't get in the way of, right? One of the one of the hopes I've had coming out of this pandemic is that it becomes socially okay to wear a mask if you feel like you need to. So that when flu season comes along next winter and I'm sick and I still have to go to work because the culture is not letting me not, you know, well, maybe I can work from home now. Yeah. Um, I can wear a mask when I go into the store and not get anybody else sick, right? Um, and not have people look at me. I think that's been a huge part of it. And I think that that's something that people won't freak out if they see anymore or anything like that. And I think as Americans, um, again, coming from an immunocompromised home, I haven't touched a door handle in 10 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I've been conscious. I've, you know, washed the hell out of my hands a million times yeah. a day for as long as I can remember. But- 
America learned some hygiene and I'm like super pumped about that. <laughs> I think that like, people learned, we washed, we learned how to wash our hands. So I think if anything good came out of it is that as a nation, we learned how to wash our freaking hands. <laughs> That's, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. How do you feel about the next six months? Um, I feel pretty good about it because um, I think there's a, a sense of whatever we emerge as the new normal. And we're looking at doing our offline events uh, probably starting late August, starting and seeing uh, of course, it's different. We don't know what to expect for attendance anymore, even after having a 14-year track record of offline events. Uh, right. We could be way overbooked or underbooked, no idea. So that's going to be weird. But I think just in general, um, we've gone through a trauma together nationally, internationally, globally. We've mm -hmm. all gone through this yeah. together. And it's one of the first um, historic events, definitely in our lifetime, where we've all experienced some change or something. Whereas most historical events happens in pockets or whatever. There isn't, there aren't people that don't know what this is. There aren't people that right. didn't have a change in their life. So I think as we emerge from this trauma, I think we'll have a lot to deal with and we'll have a lot of changes. But I think, um, I think there's kind of almost a sense of togetherness and that we just went through something really major together. We're yes, we're still going through it, but the worst brunt of the impact has passed. And so I feel hopeful for the next six months. I, I don't think we'll ever act like we once did. I think some things have permanently yeah. changed, but I, I feel good and I feel hopeful. Uh, we're still not out of the woods. We're still definitely in a struggle spot, but I, I feel like that's coming. I, I feel it. Like I feel the tinglys of like, okay, yeah. things are changing. I went to Lowe's without a mask. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're close out here in California. We are almost to the numbers that would put us in the herd immunity space. My concern is we're going to have a really great summer and then we're going to have an outbreak in the fall um, around here. Again, mostly focused around the people who are, are not getting vaccinated. Yeah. And since I felt from the beginning, a lot of the shutdown was about protecting the healthcare system. I think our numbers at least are, are to the point where we can get through without having to worry about shutting the world down again. Uh, but there are parts of the country that I'm worried will have issues for a while. Yeah, this isn't something that ever is going to leave us. This, I think, this yeah. is like the flu. This is going to be part of something that we need to pay attention to forever. And yeah. I, I think in 20 years, it'll just be like the flu. It's just yeah. something we get vaccinated for and something that's with us. And some people will still die from it every year. I don't think it's going away. So, But I still feel hopeful that we, now that the major trauma is over, we have an understanding of what we're dealing with. I think we can kind of collectively breathe a little bit and figure out what we're going to do next. So that's a good spot to be in. Yeah. Much better than where we have been. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Definitely feels like, um, feels like it's getting back to real life again. So I agree with that. Agreed. What can I plug for you? Um, everybody should visit theamericangenius.com. It's a great uh, outlet for entrepreneurs and for people anywhere in any spot in their career. We have all sorts of content. It's always free to read. Cool. Uh, we'll do that. Lonnie, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Thanks for having me. I've had fun. We did it. Yay. Yay.